This is episode 27 of the Sugar Mamas podcast and the fourth in the newly diagnosed series. Today, Rachel and I are talking about DKA or diabetic ketoacidosis. Rachel is my guest again this week. She is with us for the entire 10 weeks of the newly diagnosed series. Rachel is a registered nurse and also a certified diabetes care and education specialist. She has her own online coaching business where she helps mostly women get control of their diabetes and their blood sugars so they can manage things better. I love the name of her business. It's called Give Me Some Sugar. And not only that, Rachel has had type 1 diabetes for the past 23 years. She was diagnosed when she was only five years old. Today, Rachel and I are going to talk about what DKA is and who's at risk for developing it. Without further ado, let's get started. You're listening to the Sugar Mamas podcast, a show designed for moms of type 1 diabetics. Here, you'll find a community of like-minded women who are striving daily to keep their kids safe, happy, and healthy while navigating the ever-changing world of type 1. I'm your host and fellow T1D mom, Katie Roseborough. Welcome and enjoy the show. Before we get started, I need you to know that nothing you hear on the Sugar Mamas podcast should be considered medical advice. Please be safe, be smart, and always consult your physician before making changes to the way you manage type 1 diabetes. Thanks. We're back. We're back with Rachel, and this is episode four of the Newly Diagnosed series, and this episode is all about understanding DKA. So we'll start with the basic question, Rachel. What does DKA stand for? So DKA stands for diabetic ketoacidosis, but it is a complication of mostly people with type 1 diabetes, although it can can occur in people with type 2 diabetes as well. But it's just a state of of extreme acidity in the body um, due to lack of insulin in the in the body. So explain that mechanism a little bit, if you don't mind. So when there's a lack of insulin with type 1 diabetes, how does the blood get so acidic? Or how does the body get so acidic? In DKA, when we don't, so we're, we don't have enough insulin in our body or any insulin in the body. So in the insulin episode, we were talking about how the cells have little locks on them and we need insulin to open those cells up and let the glucose in. And when we don't have any keys, we just have a bunch of sugar just hanging out in the bloodstream and there's no way for our cells to use anything for energy. So your body starts breaking down fat cells, which turn into ketones and ketones are little molecules, very uh, cause the body to be very acidic and they are used by your muscle and your heart for energy, your brain actually can only use glucose. So um, that's kind of why you end up feeling very, very crummy. Um, There are some mechanisms up here that can use kind of make glucose and and things like that. But that's why DKA can be really dangerous is kind of just breaking down these ketones as a last last resort to to give our cells energy and and get us what we need. But um, Mm. it 
kind of increases this acidity. And so that's where you start seeing some symptoms like uh, when we're rapidly breathing, that is because your body's trying to blow off CO2, which tends to be very acidic, trying to get more oxygen in. And mm. then you'll also see uh, fruity breath is the very common one. And that's from that ketone use and, and the breakdown of the fat and everything. It's got a fruity smell. Yes, those are those are two kind of two ways to remember kind of what's going on in the body and, and two signs of DKA that occur. There are more signs for sure. I can go over those. Yeah. Tell us what are the signs and symptoms of DKA? Right. The earlier signs, of course, are going to be just you're going to be very thirsty and then probably using the, the bathroom a lot more. Those are typically kind of what occurs before it starts getting really bad. So if you are experiencing those, you want to make sure you check your blood sugar and then also check your ketones. We'll talk a little bit more about how to do that. But being very thirsty and then urinating really frequently. And then as we get progress further into DKA and as the body is getting more acidic and we're producing more ketones, that's when you see that fast breathing. Um, again, trying to blow off the CO2. You might start to kind of experience like a dry, dry mouth feeling, possibly even dry skin. Flushed face is common. That fruity smelling breath is very that is the, the hallmark symptom of it. Headache is also very common, possibly some mus muscle stiffness and aches. Again, your muscles aren't getting the energy they need. That's kind of why you're, you're feeling kind of crummy in that department. Just being very, very tired, stomach pain, very common, and then nausea and vomiting. So when we start experiencing all those, that's when we want to check your ketones and then call your healthcare provider or go to the emergency room as soon as you can, because that means we're in DKA quite, quite deep into DKA and we want to want to get some emergency attention for that. Mm, okay. You're reminding me that my youngest son was at a baseball game on mm -hmm. Sunday and came off the field because he said he was having trouble breathing. And I that was my first thought. I was like, no, oh, no, no, he was fine. It ended up just being he was anxious. It was a new team that he had never played on and never played with. And but uh, that was my first my first thought is always yes. he has type one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. that's. I think that's definitely my my mom was always uh, checking my sister after mm -hmm. like you're peeing too much there, and we gotta gotta check blood sugar. Yeah, I think yeah, that's definitely very common. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I remember speaking of DKA and just testing blood sugar when you know kind of that first month or two, I was like extra hyper aware of oh my gosh, you're drinking too much water mm -hmm. after my daughter got diagnosed with my other two sons. So I was thinking like I have to finger prick them them every time. But another way that I could screen for type one in my other kids, hopefully that'll never happen, but I'm not naive enough to think that it couldn't, but is to check their urine with a ketone strip, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. That's, yeah, probably a little bit more indicative of what's going on rather than uh, just, yeah, poking them mm -hmm. <laughs> regularly. But that's, that's a great point. Yes. Using like a keto stick or however you check ketones would be a a good way to screen. So who's most at risk for going into DKA? And when I ask this question, I'm kind of are, I'm kind of asking about who who already has been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes is more at risk for going into DKA because obviously anybody who's kind of starting out on their type 1 journey is at risk and a lot unfortunately a lot of people land themselves in the hospital in DKA when they're first diagnosed, but so if you already have type 1, who's more at risk? Usually what I am thinking of in regards to risk 
would be the very young. So when your body's super tiny, um, mm-hmm. you just are a lot more likely to uh, experience that just because omitting even just a little bit of insulin for a little bit of time can, can be a, quite a bit more dangerous than in somebody who is older and larger and have more have more to circulate. And then the elderly as well, just because of how their body circulates and absorbs insulin and everything like that and dehydrates a lot quicker as well. That would be somebody who could go into DK a lot quicker than the average adult or younger adolescent uh, kind of person. Okay. And then I, you know, when they sent us home from the hospital, they told us that any blood sugar reading over 250, you need to, ch- or actually, I think it was if you had two in a row, or maybe three, you can tell I remember it a lot. I think it was if you had two or three in a row to check for ketones. I'm not good about doing that. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I feel like the better we get about managing type one, the less we see those type of numbers anyway. So I don't feel the mm-hmm. need to check. Usually if we have a really high reading like that, you know, we'll give more insulin, I'll push fluids. But when do you recommend checking for ketones? In somebody with type one. That's a really great great question because I feel I feel similarly about that as well. I still I remember mm-hmm. when I was in nursing. So I the rule of thumb is basically any any I think the ADA recommends anytime you're 250 or more you should check your ketones. It definitely would make more sense to me if it's multiple times just because. Mm-hmm. You can you can hit two fifty uh, after eating eating some cereal or drinking mm-hmm. a soda or something like that pretty easily. And I remember in nursing school we were there were four people with type one diabetes in my class and we were learning about DKA and they said it's any blood sugar above two fifty and we were like we're in DKA right now. Unless- <laughs> concerned so yeah it really um generally is a lot higher so if you are 250 definitely go ahead and check it Mm -hmm. but if you're not in a place to check it and you're not symptomatic you know it's very likely you're you're not in dka especially if you have long-acting insulin in your body if you're over 250 and you're on an insulin pump, that can definitely be, you know, you'll definitely, I think probably my pump users would want to check a little bit more often than somebody Mm -hmm. who's using a long acting insulin, just because it's more likely that you could have a kinked cannula or some sort of malfunction with the pump that would make that that more likely. But yeah, ADA and uh, clinician in me would say uh, just you always want to check your ketones after after a blood sugar of 250 or more. But yeah, I, I wouldn't feel horrible about it if you, if you didn't and you just corrected the blood sugar. But obviously, mm-hmm. if you're symptomatic or it's happening multiple times and you're having trouble getting that blood sugar down, then definitely mm-hmm. check check for the ketones. Okay. Good advice. So at what point in time do you think that we should like put in a call to the endocrinologist? I feel like we've kind of already touched on it. If the readings are high and they're symptomatic, I mean, just knowing myself, I feel like even then I would probably at least give it a couple hours of trying to get the number down and pushing fluids and retesting. But what are like the, okay, now you really need to call your endocrinologist. Yeah. So anytime you have those like more severe symptoms like Mm -hmm. the fruity smelling breath or the muscle stiffness, just extreme fatigue, especially nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain. That's when I would call my doctor and demand to speak to a uh, a nurse or the on-call provider. If they are unable to get you to that person, then go to the emergency room just because it can, it can happen fairly quickly and you just want to make sure you get treatment. But if you're having, you know, just you're extra thirsty and you urinating more than usual and 
blood sugar is like 250 or a little bit more than that. And you've checked your ketones and it's a fairly minimal amount. I think if you can, like you said, a few hours just trying to get it down with some insulin, this is a really good time for inhalable insulin because it works super duper quickly and you can stack it mm. because it, it works a little bit. It's less of a, a duration than your regular insulin. So that's what I use inhalable insulin for. If I have a pump failure or something like that, I have inhalable insulin on hand to kind of help just bring those blood sugars down. Hmm. But, um, or fiasco, whatever you got, that can work really quickly. And then after an hour or two, if your blood sugar is still hanging out and not going down, then then I would go ahead and call the provider. And again, ask to speak to the nurse or ask to speak to the to the on-call physician just to see if they, they want to, if you, especially if you're not like as comfortable with increasing doses and stuff like that, mm-hmm. then totally find a to call them and, and see what they'd like to do. But if you have like a severe amount of ketones or that fast deep breathing, those sorts of symptoms, I would just go directly to the emergency room just so you can get treated Mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Yeah. Any type of breathing issue for sure. Yes. Go right on in. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. Okay, real quick, can we take a quick side tangent? Because I did want to ask you about inhalable insulin during the insulin episode. And since you brought it up, is that I've heard about it? So it's like an inhaler, right? Like if you had asthma, or how do you? It's just like that. Yeah, it's a little, just a little inhaler, and then they come with cartridges. So they come in four unit, eight unit, and twelve unit doses. They are they work a little bit differently. So four units may end up working a little bit more like two units in somebody. So they're kind of like cut in half. Again, it Hmm. sort of depends on on how your body reacts to them. But instead of injecting it, you inhale it into your lungs and your little lung capillaries grab onto it and put it in the blood that way. So it's much faster of an onset than than when you inject it just because it's going going straight in there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it does last less long. So I believe the onset is something like or sorry, that the onset is around like five to 10 minutes. And then the duration of action, I believe it only lasts about three hours, maybe something like that. So it's okay to, to do that rage bowl thing mm-hmm. <laughs> for the most, they call them touch up. So that's that. I'll, I'll actually, I can send you a article about it. You could put it in the show notes, but um, yeah. they did that for people with type one diabetes where it was touch up bowl of things. So if mm. after you have eaten an hour after you've eaten and you're 200 or something like that, you can go ahead and take four units. If it's still high after two hours, you can take another four units mm. and people have a lot of success with that coming down and it doesn't really result in lows like it would if you were classic rage bowl of thing with, <laughs> with uh, extra no blog. So you're so some people's insurances will, will allow them to have like a rapid acting insulin and an inhaled insulin. Yep, you could even so the way I I mean my my insurance is very it's kind of weird. I'm very privileged in that I can pick whatever I want. But um, a That's lot of nice. what you can do is have the provider basically write that touch up bolus. So in the event of pump failure or in the event of a blood sugar that's higher than this, this is, mm-hmm. so kind of indicating that it's for emergency use. Will will kind of uh, have those both prescribed to you and, and covered. But of course, it all all sort of depends on on whether or not they cover the insulin in the first place for anybody. But um, Hmm. that's sort of how I do it. You can do the same thing with like CS as well, like have a dose of CS on hand in Hmm. the event of pump failure or in the event of higher blood sugars that you want to get down a lot quicker. Okay. You can kind of kind of request that as well. Interesting. Is it is the inhalable insulin recommended for children? What age? What's the age cutoff? Do you know? As far as I know, it's 
still just for 18 and up. Okay. They are doing, they did them a little while ago. So I'm hoping they will approve it for, um, they did it for ages four to 12 or something like that. Hmm. A couple of years ago, they had some trials on it. So I'm hoping they will, they will start. Cause I think, especially for younger children that really <laughs> would prefer not to get poked um, mm-hmm. as many times, it, it can be really helpful um, for like mealtime insulin. It is a rapid acting insulin. So you'd still have to take a long acting insulin alongside it. But, but yes, it, it can be a good option for right now, 18 and up to, to bring down higher blood sugars. Okay. Very interesting. I know this is totally off topic, but I'm, I think the uh, sensor, the Eversense, the one that goes underneath your mm-hmm. skin, that's so interesting mm-hmm. to me. And it's only 18 and up too. So I don't even know if my daughter oh. would be on board for that or if I would even want that for her. I would have to do more research, but I'm like, I think they're also doing trials. I, I want to say I read that they're also seeing if they can push the age down a little bit. That, right. that does yeah, seem like a lot of trauma though, cutting the skin and putting it under. It's so tiny though. That's why I'm like a little skeeved out by it. I uh-huh. I have so many bumps already yeah. from all of my other things. It's, uh, but I, I have seen them put it in and everything like that. So you have to go to uh, your doctor's office and it's a it's a mm-hmm. sterile kind of procedure where they, they make an incision and put it in there. So it is really cool. It would be nice to not have to change something um, so regularly. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm always... <laughs> always conscious of how many uh, how many scars <laughs> I have now. So. Right. I just feel like it would get lost. Like I, they'd put it in, you know, someone's arm and then like it'd yeah. come out your nose while you were eating dinner or something like that. Yeah. Like I know that wouldn't I, happen. That doesn't make anatomical sense, but it just <laughs> seems like it would get lost in there somewhere. It's a fear. It's a fear. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Back to DKA. And I think we're almost done. So if we suspect DKA, if our child has larger ketones, they're showing some of the signs, I have a feeling they're going to be feeling pretty bad. So they're not going to want to do much. But what are some of the things that we should avoid if we suspect DKA? The biggest one is exercise. And I think you're right. Like people just are not feeling like exercising when they are right. in DKA. But I know that's common. Like when your blood sugar is high, like my mom used to be like, go run around. But if you very, very certainly have ketones, you don't want to do any vigorous exercising because that can actually increase your ketone count because again, your body's looking for energy and it can't find Mm. it in that glucose. So it's going to just eat away at more and more fat. Um, Your liver is again, going to misbehave pretty significantly and dump more glucose into your into your body to again um mm, get that okay. energy to help you move around. So that's why we don't don't want to exercise when we we definitely have ketones in our body any any significant amount. So that would that would be the only thing I would recommend not doing. Um you okay. do, you know you wanna like you mentioned increase your fluids. Don't drink anything particularly sugary if you're able to do that. And then just just focus all your efforts on kind of getting that blood sugar down with the insulin and and increased fluids. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, no exercising. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think anybody's gonna want to do that anyway, but good to know. Right. So last question, the keto diet is all the rage. And I know some type ones follow a keto diet. So what is the difference between your body being in ketosis for the keto diet and then diabetic ketoacidosis? So DKA is that absence of insulin, whereas ketosis and that absence of insulin causes the presence of ketones. And mm-hmm. then ketosis is more like the absence of carbohydrates. So the absence of glucose from those carbohydrates, you mm-hmm. still have insulin in your body, but your body's going to start producing ketones mm-hmm. because there is no carbohydrates 
carbohydrate to break down. So again, your body wants glucose to provide energy to your cells. And if there is no carbohydrate to get glucose from, it'll break it down in fat. And that's kind of the... I just, the keto diet excuse me out all the time because basically your body, that is the goal is to have mm-hmm. um, your body break down fat cells, which in turn would allow you to lose more weight. And that's generally why people are so successful with the weight loss is because mm-hmm. it's a direct way to kind of break down those fat cells. So that be, but um, again, you kind of hear about that like brain fog and the flu with the ketosis and everything like that. And again, that's just because our brain wants glucose. So it's kind of like, where, where is it? Um, mm-hmm. So it, it isn't something I like would recommend. But ketosis is technically like you're like you're saying is is different from DKA because you still have insulin in your body, so it's not a life threatening sort of situation. Um, it's just mm-hmm. the presence of ketones in the body because, and it's a minimal amount of ketones, just because we don't have any carbohydrate to break down into glucose. But yeah, but you still sometimes people have that fruity smelling breath. You kind of have similar sorts of sorts of things going on. <laughs> but um, in fact, I I actually struggle to find I realized I don't have like a ketone meter at home and um, they're upcharged quite a bit now because people want to check their ketones for, for the keto diet. So. Oh my gosh, darn you fad diets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's kind of the difference between those two. And it is actually common to, for some people, you may have what we call euglycemic or normal glucose ketones. Mm-hmm. We're not entirely sure why that happens in some people, um, but it may be possible that you might, if for some reason you are getting like a urinalysis at, at, um, at the doctor or something like that, you might notice ketones, even though your blood sugar was fine, mm-hmm. um, especially if you are trying to lose weight. So there was, there was a time when I was weightlifting really regularly and was losing weight and I had like a significant amount of ketones in my urine and I was very confused. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is again, kind of the just kind of what happens with weight loss as well. You might notice some ketones, even though your your blood sugars are, are normal. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. All right. Anything else? Anything else you want to add? I had, I'm a physical therapist. And when I was in PT school and I did one of my rotations as an intern, I had one patient who was in DKA and he was like comatose when he first came in. And then he like was coming out of it and was so I remember everybody thought he was like drunk and a drug addict. Well, it turns out he was just coming out of the DKA. But oh my gosh, I just remember I was I was a lot younger, first of all, and I was only an intern. And they sent me in to see this guy and he was like six, eight and huge. And I was five, four and he was like swinging at me. And yeah, so that's my one experience with DKA. I'm like, oh, I hope we never, I hope we never get there. My daughter was not in DKA. Luckily, when she went to the hospital, she barely, she was right on the border, but we avoided that trip to the critical care unit. Thank goodness. Yeah, that can be really, definitely very scary for a lot of people to see their children or whoever it is, the person they know with diabetes, kind of very confused again, just because your your body is in a in a crazy kind of state. And I know that's actually I was seeing that somewhere like when I was watching cops at one point was oh uh, they were pulling over people that seemed drunk, but it was usually either like a really high blood sugar or really low blood sugar, which was really interesting. <laughs> so um, that, that is extremely common. But yeah, it can, um, you can definitely, uh, you may notice that in if you are ever in kind of severe DKA, like children starting to, to act very Almost like they've been drinking, drinking too yes, much. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
absolutely. That's another, you know, you may want to, um, if you suspect that uh, your child has been doing something, it may, you know, it may be worth checking some ketones as well, because that could be uh, another um, reason for, for the strange behavior. Okay, good to know. Good to know. All right, Rachel, thank you so much for coming back on with me today. I feel like that was a great conversation about DKA. And I just appreciate your time so much. Thank you. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. All righty. That is it for our episode today. I know we jumped around a little bit. We took a side tangent to talk about Afreza, the inhalable insulin, and also the Eversense continuous glucose monitor. Uh, some of the listeners may have much older children with type 1 diabetes who are 18 and older and could possibly look into using uh, one or both of those things. But I know that most of us listening probably have younger type 1s. That might just not apply to us at this moment. However, it sounds like they are testing out those things in the younger population. So who knows, maybe it'll be available to us sometime soon. So I just wanted to give like a 60 second recap of what DKA is since we skipped around a little bit. DKA stands for diabetic ketoacidosis and it happens when there is little to no insulin in someone's body. When there is no insulin, your body cannot utilize the glucose that you have in your bloodstream for energy. And because it cannot get to that glucose, then it has to start breaking down fat cells for energy. When fat cells break down, they give off ketones. Ketones are a byproduct of fat cell breakdown. The more ketones that build up in the body, the more acidic your blood becomes, which is why it's called ketoacidosis. Your blood becomes very acidic, which is very toxic. It's not good for your body. People at risk for developing DKA, of course, are the people who are kind of in the very beginning stages of type 1 diabetes and don't even know it, but also type 1 diabetics who may be sick. Rachel and I didn't really talk about that, but type 1 diabetics who maybe are going through some sort of an illness or have the flu or just have some sort of sickness or maybe going through a really stressful event in their life or some sort of trauma, those people are also more at risk for developing diabetic ketoacidosis, even if their blood sugar numbers look pretty good. So speaking for myself, if my daughter Sarah is ever in that situation where she's going through a really stressful time or she's sick, or maybe she just, God forbid, broke a bone and she's going through a little bit of a trauma and healing from that, I will definitely I will definitely be monitoring her ketone levels more closely, even if her blood sugar numbers look pretty decent. I think that about covers what I wanted to talk about today. I'm going to leave a link to a really awesome article about the inhalable insulin in the show notes. Rachel sent that along after we finished the recording. Um, Has a lot of great information in it. I will also leave a link to the Eversense Continuous Glucose Monitor if you're just interested in checking that out and seeing what it looks like and learning more about it for the future, perhaps. And of course, I will leave a link to all the places where you can find Rachel, her Instagram handle, her Facebook page, her website, and also I will provide you with her email address if you would like to contact her yourself. All right, you guys, I had a fabulous time chatting with you. Join us next week for the fifth installment of the newly diagnosed series. Talk with you soon. Bye.